Welcome to Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, your host for the Life in Accounting, Where Accountants Go podcast. In this episode, I scheduled some time with Susan Huff from PwC in San Antonio. Susan currently works in a business development management role. However, her career has has had many twists and turns. She started out in public accounting, then later on she joined one of their clients, the largest private employer in San Antonio, USAA, where she had a tremendous career of about 20 years. Eventually, she decided to try something new and got into consulting, and then now has joined Pricewaterhouse for about the last year and a half to two years or so, and is doing a wonderful job for them. Susan shares some tidbits of, of advice regarding having a successful career and just knowing yourself well and, and how to make those choices as opportunities are presented to you throughout your career. I hope you get a lot of benefit out of this. I know I did. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Here we go. Well, Susan, thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I think there's going to be a lot to learn from your story, so I I appreciate you taking the time out of your day and and pre-scheduling this with me. Thank you very much. You're most welcome, Mark. It's always a pleasure to get to spend time with you. (laughs) Thank you. You're you're too kind. Well, I figured you'd be an excellent guest to bring on the show because you've certainly been in more traditional accounting roles, if you will, but then you've also ventured into consulting and and even business development, which I find very interesting. So if you don't mind, so our listeners that don't know you can get to know you a little bit, let's walk through your career from the beginning a little bit, if you don't mind. How did you get into accounting in the first place? Well, I'm happy to share my accounting journey story with you. First off, it might be a story that a lot of people share. When I took my very first accounting class in college, I actually liked it. And the people to the (laughs) left and to the right of me were struggling. They were like, oh my gosh, what am I doing in here? And for me, at least Accounting 101, it felt easy. So a little light bulb went on and said, aha, maybe this is something that you should pursue. So I gladly, you know, continued to pursue accounting. And as you know, at the end of an accounting degree, most people get jobs, which was very appealing to me. So I went through the typical litany of campus interviews. At the time, it was the big eight. And I apologize for telling you my age, but that's what it was. There were, you know, eight big public accounting firms. And they seemed at the time to be the most prestigious. And to be quite honest, they offered me $500 more a year than the industry jobs offered. And so that's where I landed. So I started my career at public accounting. It was Pete Marwick at the time, now KPMG. 
had a great ride there. Didn't stay too terribly long, but I had a great opportunity to go to USAA. USAA was my client while I was at Pete Marwick, and so I transitioned very nicely into internal audit at USAA. That happened to lead to a 20-year career. It's even hard, as I say, that 20 years to imagine that I stayed there that long, but in a great variety of roles. I was able to be in budget and forecasting. I moved over into treasury for quite a number of years. And then the inner communicator in me came out and I switched to corporate communications for the last three years that I was there at USAA. So USAA was a great ride, wonderful company, and and proud of 20 years to have worked there. After that, Mark, I I landed at a company called RGP, Resources Global Professionals, which had spun out of Deloitte, and that was the first opportunity I had to do a business development or a sales role. To be really honest with you, Mark, I I hope you enjoy the story. My husband said, take the job. If you don't like it, quit. Leave it off your resume. Don't tell anybody you tried to sell and weren't any good at it. Yeah. My brother said, take the job. If you don't like it, quit. Put it on your resume and tell people, I tried that and I really wasn't very good at it or I really didn't like it. So I kind of thought, what's the harm in trying something new, getting totally out of my comfort zone and and really sort of spreading my wings, if you will. And wouldn't you know, I absolutely loved it really a a good fit for my interests and my skills. And again, using my accounting background to sell accounting type financial services made a lot of sense. So then fortunately, uh, about a year and a half ago now, PwC came calling and they said, hey, we need a good business developer. We're entering, we're coming into a brand new market. We need somebody who has a, a rich Rolodex for the young people. That means a contact list. And they asked me to come join them here in San Antonio and and focus on business development. So it's been a great ride. Um, Accounting has been very, very good to me. Wow. It's been a lot of of steps in there, a lot of of interesting moves. How long were you at KPMG? I stayed there about two and a half years, and I was here in the San Antonio office that entire time. Okay. Were you an auditor? I was. Yep. Yep. I was an audit and USA was my biggest client, but I, I also had Church's Fried Chicken and I had a company called DataPoint, which is no longer in business, but a computer technology company. And so I had a little bit of diversity in the, in the industries that I represented. Okay. Okay. Well, I I take it transitioning to USAA wasn't a tremendous shift for you. I mean, some changes, obviously, from KPMG, but a lot of similarities. You mentioned that you got into corporate communications, though. Were you in a financial support role in corporate communications? I or, was. Or were you... Okay. I, I was. I initially went over there because as I had worked in the corporate finance organization, the annual report was something that corporate communications published, but they needed strong accounting support for that. So I had been their accounting support for many years, and I just sort of morphed into a project manager role on that production of the annual report. So I did, when I moved into corporate communications, I got all things financial, including things like the annual distributions to the members, even some important annual events like an annual members meeting where I would project manage coordination of getting the members together on an annual basis. Okay. Was that your first transition into, forgive the expression, but a more people-oriented role 
Did that happen earlier? I would say that my first opportunity to, I guess if I think back, you know, in audit, a really good auditor has strong people skills as well, so that you can ask the right questions, you can listen to the right answers. I mean, who likes their auditor? Let's be honest. But it is nice if your auditor can be, you know, more of a business partner with you, right, and have good. So I, I would say that, you know, I was fortunate early in my career to be able to be in audit roles where I could sort of step away from the computer and do personal interaction. And so I always knew that that was something I liked. But it was really when I moved into the role of supporting the preparation, I guess you call it, of the presentations that our CFO was doing to the audit and the finance committee of the board of directors. When I moved into that role, when I was still in corporate finance, that's when I really got to be about the communication side of things. So I tried to take complicated financial information and make it easy to understand. And I want to be clear, Mark, I'm not talking about dumbing it down, but I'm talking about stripping out all the details so that you could get the high-level picture, and then you could go into the details if you needed to. So I did a lot of, I would call it communications, you know, from that perspective and giving information to the audit and the finance committee through the CFO. Of course, he did, he did all the speaking. I did all the behind-the-scenes work, if you will. And so that was probably my first foray. But then I got the opportunity to work with the rating agencies, and that would be Moody's, Standard & Poor's, AM Best. And I was always sort of carrying the corporate message. You know, USA is a private company, but if they were public, it would have been sort of a public affairs role that I was sitting in where I was communicating, if you will, on behalf of the organization, the key messages that we wanted the public to know. Okay. Okay. And and that executive level interaction, I'm sure, helps you in what you do today. Absolutely. Yes. I am not afraid of a CEO. <laughs> <laughs> been, been with too many of great respect. Let me, let me put that in the notes, but great respect for really all levels of employees. But, but certainly at the highest level, I was really blessed, I guess, to, to have lots of interactions with the executive management team. And I recognize they're people just like you and I. And even though they probably make a whole lot more money and have a whole lot more stress, they appreciate good team members and people that will come to them and be honest and open and give them the information that they're looking for. Okay. So when you were transitioning into RGP, did you do some consulting in the middle or did you go directly from being a regular quote-unquote employee of USAA to working at RGP? I went directly there. I took a very short stint, to be honest with you. I took a little leave of absence between USAA and RGP. And in that leave of absence, a dear friend called that worked at Argonaut Insurance and said, hey, I need just some sort of staff support work. Would you come and, and, you know, do like a staff aug role for me? And so I went out. I guess I was called an independent consultant and I went to work for him. But I had never really, I mean, other than a very small 10-week project, I never had really done any consulting and really wasn't that familiar with what consulting was all about, you know, and why would people choose this career and how did it work? So really the opportunity at, at RGP was really my first entrance into true consultants. Okay. So that was a, a big step or a big leap of faith for you to go from a, a financial role into business development. That's it was a huge out. change. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that's what I said, literally, the advice of take the job, and if you don't like it, quit. 
because honestly, Mark, how do any of us know whether we're really going to like something or we're really going to be good at something or it's really going to be the right use of our skills unless we try it? You know, and I, I try to, when I'm, when I'm talking with students today and they're like, well, we're being forced to make a decision between tax and audit and we simply don't know. You know, there's a few things you can do to point yourself towards one or the other, but the truth is you need to try it to really embrace it, to decide if this is, you know, the, the right fit. That's true. And I've seen students stress over that. And, and the facts are that actually for the first few years, many places are more than happy to let you move into the other area you if bet. you think that may appeal to you. So mm-hmm. 20 years into it, it may be a little different. at the same salary level, at least. (laughs) Definitely at the same salary level. Yes, you're right. So when you got into the the business development role or, or, you know, the consulting role, what was the most surprising to you? What was the most shocking? Well, I think for me, you know, when I entered consultants, I thought, well, my goodness, if you're a consultant, you must be an incredible. I mean, you know, how do people consult? They must have so much subject matter expertise. But to be perfectly honest with you, what I realized is there really are two kinds of consultants. There are those who are simply amazing. They have all the right skill sets, all the right self-confidence, and all the right ability to deliver high-quality work. And then there are those people who maybe can't do anything else. Okay. And They've maybe washed out in a career or there's a whole variety of reasons that there are really A-plus people and then there are people that are not so good. And I guess that was the most surprising aspect because when you're talking to somebody who thinks they want to enter consulting, you know, and everybody's putting their best foot forward, I always say, you know, we all look pretty good on our honeymoon. And it's hard to know whether you're really going to excel as a consultant or whether this is really not you know, a career for you. And I think to me, the, the key things, if someone's going to go into consulting, they've got to have a very strong skill set, whatever that is, whether you're the best at complicated tax situations or whether you understand all the nuances that are coming with the new revenue recognition or the leasing standards. So if you are a rock-solid technical accountant and you love that, whatever your niche is, you have to be really, really good at that. But you also have to have tremendous self-confidence and you've got to have agility like never before. You have got to be able to go into any situation and make the best of it. Because what I would see continually happening is I would ask a client, what do you need? And they would describe three, five, ten things they were looking for. I would get the person over there. And those ten things didn't become important anymore. Ten new things came to the table. Okay. Okay. And so it was very important for the consultants to be able to be very agile and, you know, happy to adjust and happy to change direction once they'd gone down a certain path. Oh, nope, never mind. We've changed our mind because it happens in corporate America every day. You and I see it and we know it, that you're down a certain path and then, oops, stop, never mind, change of direction. And so you can't be so rigid, you know, and I think in, in consulting, the ability to, to be flexible is a, is a huge strength. Okay. I would suspect that also leads to how busy you're able to keep the people. You bet. The more adaptable mm-hmm. they are and agile they are, the, the more frequently they can go from assignment to assignment. You bet. Without Absolutely. A, yes. Sure. Yeah. Without sure. a break in service, if you will. Yep. Yes. What have you enjoyed the most about that or, or what you're doing now? You know, the arranging of consulting projects. What, what do you enjoy about what you do? 
Well, I think the thing I enjoy the most, and I I used to answer this question, people say, what is your favorite thing about your job? And I would say, that is so simple, it's the people. And then they'd say, what do you like least about your job? I said, that is so easy, it's the people. (laughs) (laughs) And I share that because I I, I honestly tell you that the most important thing or the thing I enjoy best and, and enjoyed best, you know, in my prior role and enjoy best now being back in big four is the amazing people that you come across and the opportunity to build collaborative teams where each person is bringing their individual best to the table and collectively you are so much better as a group than you would be individually. That's where I get the biggest reward is bringing those teams together where everyone is asked to play their A game. And I just, I, I, that's what I enjoy the most is absolutely incredible people that I get to meet and work with. And then there's, I'm sure, some satisfaction when you're building this team and they're collectively better seeing the results at the end. You bet. You bet. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. When a client says, couldn't have done it without you. Wow, you know, I don't need much more thank you than that. You know, let's go do it again. (laughs) It it makes it all worthwhile for sure. It does, it does. Well, changing the subject a little bit, I always like to plug uh, professional associations, and you're very active, or you have been very active in the CPA Society for a while, actually. And and, uh, I know it's time-consuming sometimes. And so what would you have to say for somebody that would ask why, you know, why do you do it? Or what do you personally get out of those types of volunteer efforts? Sure. So for me, I have sort of an adage that says uh, life is not a spectator sport. I don't think that you can sit on the sidelines and watch your life go by. I certainly don't think you should. I always tell people you've got to get in the game and you've got to take responsibility for your own professional development, and especially in the accounting profession, we need strong advocates. We need people that will promote our profession, that will encourage not only new people that are coming in, you know, as as brand new CPAs, but also encourage each other because I'm of the opinion that we are much stronger together, again, than any of us are individually. So I just, I'm, I'm passionate about giving back to this profession. It has been very, very good to me, the instant credibility that comes from saying that you are a CPA is very rewarding. And I might just say to you that it, it was a challenge for me to pass the CPA exam. So, uh, so I'm proud of that accomplishment. And I think it's important that we promote and encourage a strong CPA society. And the San Antonio chapter is, is one very, very important way for us to do that. Do you have any examples or personal stories of how being a CPA has made a difference in your life or career? Well, um, you know, I I did get one wonderful, you know, a lot of times when you're investing, you don't know. And and I think you kind of mentioned that, you know, you do, Susan, you do a lot of volunteer work. I do. And I I don't do it for anything in return. You know, I I do it because I, I just feel it's the right thing to do. And there are several places that I sort of feel passionate, you know, about getting involved in. And, and so the chapter is one of them. But many years ago, I, I had a young lady who babysat. Well, she was a girl, teenage girl at the time, and she babysat my children. And, and her mother 
die suddenly, a brain aneurysm. It was a very sad event. And so she, you know, kind of spent her high school years with, without a mother while she was, you know, a babysitter for my kids. And I did what I could periodically to step in. Well, then we kept in touch through her college years. And she said, oh, I think I want to be an accountant. And she ended up taking a little bit of a longer path. It wasn't your typical four years. She had to add a little bit onto it. And she kept going. Finally, she said, I think I'm going to be a CPA. I think I'm going to sit for the exam. And I was, you know, every now and then, you know, I'd say, oh, I hope you're going to do that. And I just tried to basically encourage her along the way. And one day my phone rang and she said, I'm calling to thank you for being my mentor, my role model, my encourager. I've passed the exam. And I was like, I was all those things. Like I didn't even, I didn't even really think about it. Do you know what I mean? Because she was just my friend and I just, I wanted to point her in the right direction. I wanted to give her some encouraging words. And now here she is a very successful CPA at New Star Energy. You know, she's working at the fabulous companies here in town. And I, I think the world of her, and it was nice that she thought enough to pick up and tell me because I don't honestly think otherwise I would have known. Do you know what I mean? I don't think I would have known the impact that I had on her had she not called me and said so. And then, as I mentioned, I think it is instant credibility. Sometimes, Mark, when you're in a sales role, people will say, oh, here she comes again selling something, right? And the truth is, I'm not going to sell anything that people aren't interested in buying. You know, it's it's not car sales, it's professional services. So I think when they realize that I am a CPA, I do keep my license up, I am current and involved in the profession, it's a whole different perspective, if you will. It's like, oh, wait a minute, she does get it. You know, she has worked in industry. She does understand sort of my problems and my concerns. And so I think there's, there's a lot of value, you know, that comes from that in my role now. Okay. Okay. I always like to give guests the opportunity to talk about any other interests, you know, that they have, sometimes outside career. I know that you, or I believe you've been involved in the Alumni Association at UTSA. I right? have. I have. Okay. I have. I Many years ago, I got the opportunity to, to serve on their board, and I just continued with that service and ended up serving as the president of the Alumni Association because I am passionate about education. I just do believe it changes lives, and so if I can play a small part in raising scholarships and awareness about the importance of a college education, I am, I am happy to do that. So that's been a, a great effort out at UTSA. Okay. Are there any other organizations you'd like to talk about or any events that UTSA has coming up through the Alumni Association? Uh, if not, that's okay. I just want to give yeah, you yeah. the opportunity. No, no, I appreciate that. No, I appreciate that. No, and I think the, the main thing I would share with the listeners is that it is important for you to find out what you're interested in. So, for example, there's a group here in town that's the Women's Energy Network. I'm involved in that because I don't know a tremendous amount about the energy industry. And so to be around professionals that focus in that is good for my personal continuous learning. I am and want to be a lifelong learner. I don't want to ever feel like I'm, I'm full. Do you know what I mean? Like I've, I've learned everything there is to learn. I want to feel like every day there's something new and different before me. I joined a healthcare organization for the same purpose. Its name is the Health Cell, and they focus on healthcare and biomedical sciences here in San Antonio. I'm fascinated by that. I don't have a medical background, so every time I go, 
I'm the dumbest person in the room. You know what I mean? Like everyone is smarter than me. But how fun is that? You know, I'm not yeah, intimidated by that at all. You know, I'm going in. So that's what I would say to the to the listeners is that there are so many organizations. Find out what you're interested in and go get involved. You know, go go peel that back and learn more about what they have to offer. That's right. If you're always the smartest person in the room, well, then it's hard to learn, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's very wise advice. Very wise advice. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's four questions I end every interview with. So the first one, what has been your proudest moment? So, Mark, I thought about this, right? I'm, I'm thinking, oh, my proudest moment. So professionally, I would, I would still say it's probably when I passed the final part of the CPA exam. Because for me, it was, it, it was an effort in um, discipline, in studying, in focusing. I was already married. I was already working full time. And I had to make it a priority. And when I did and I saw the reward of that, it was, it was a very proud personal accomplishment. But proudest overall, anything my children do. I mean, I'm just one of those geeky, proud moms and, and happy to say so. And I, I guess most recently, it was a year ago now, where my the baby of the family, my youngest son, graduated from college. And I don't know who was prouder that day, his dad and I or, or him of his accomplishments, because my husband and I really feel like we've done our job. We, we set two young men out into the world debt-free with educations, you know, and and they, it's, they get to go make their way. And so I would be happy any time to sit and just talk about my fabulous children because they certainly complete me and make me very, very proud as their mother. Yes, yes. That's very important. When yeah. people talk about work-life balance, I mean, mm-hmm. family. Well, tell us about a mistake you've made, what you learned from it, and the bigger the better. <laughs> There are so many. There are just so many mistakes. But the one that sticks out in my mind is, is sort of an all-time mistake was when I was at USA, one of the roles I played was the rating agency analyst. And as that analyst, I coordinated these meetings where the rating agencies came to San Antonio once a year and USA took a trip to New York once a year. So it was the annual time of year where the rating agencies were coming to San Antonio. It was a very, very large undertaking with all of the senior executive leadership at USA involved, from the president to all of his direct reports had speaking roles. There were weeks of advanced preparation where I would sit across the table from, you pick it, the president of the bank, and he would practice with me what he was going to say to the rating agency. And I would say, well, now just a minute, I wouldn't word it that way, I'd change it this way. And so it was very intense, very well prepared, and a lot of work went into this. So... The night before we were to meet with Standard & Poor's, my boss, the VP, came by and said, hey, by the way, why don't you call the hotel and leave a welcome message for the analysts and tell them you'll see them in the morning and you're looking forward to that. I was like, sure. I've never done that before. Great idea. I call the hotel and they say, hmm, we don't have a reservation for that person. I said, no, 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 check again. And they said, no, we don't have a reservation for that person. We do for tomorrow night but not for tonight. So I began to get a very sinking feeling in my stomach because they needed to be at my office at 8 o'clock in the morning. And so by this time, it's 5 o'clock on a Monday night in San Antonio, which means it's 6 o'clock in New York City. So I start calling New York City. No answer. 
I don't have cell phones. I don't have, all I have is a desk number. So I couldn't sleep all night long. I kept waking up thinking, oh, surely, oh, surely they're coming. Oh, surely they're coming. Well, since this is a mistake story, Mark, you know (laughs) that I got to work the next morning to call her and find out she is at her desk in New York City. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was, oh, my gosh. It was terrible. And the biggest part of it was that then I did had, had to go to all of the executives who had reserved yeah. their calendars and were coming to the conference room and say, not today, tomorrow. Can we switch all this to tomorrow? They were so angry. They were so upset because, as you can imagine, they had that day, Tuesday cleared, and Wednesday was packed solid. Sure, so I was sure. dramatically inconveniencing them. It was a huge mistake. At the end of the day, the rating agency person took responsibility. It didn't really matter, right, Mark, because I apologized. I took the ownership for that. I owned it, whether it was my mistake or not. She and I miscommunicated, right? And it was quite a problem for a large group of people. So when we got it all, you know, we were in the conference room that morning. All the executive leadership went back to their offices, and just my vice president and I sat down. And she said, Susan, it's okay. We got it all rescheduled to the next day. It's okay. And I looked at her and I said, it's not okay. (laughs) And I began to sob. And I'm usually pretty much better than that, you know, in a work situation. But I was so disappointed, you know, that so much work had gone into something and then we miscommunicated on the day. So, you know, it had a happy ending. She came the next day. She apologized. She took ownership. She said, Susan kept saying, see you Tuesday. And I thought, yeah, I'm traveling on Tuesday. So here's what I did to correct it. Going forward, I always asked them to send me their travel flights, arrangements, all of that, so that I could then see for myself, right? And it never happened again, and it it wasn't a problem, but I I think that painful lesson taught me that the devil's in the details, and it's okay to ask for a lot of details. It's okay. It it helps everything go a little bit smoother along the way. Yeah. Better safe than sorry. (laughs) That's right. That's right. I agree. Actually, Bobby Rios, when I interviewed him a few weeks ago for the podcast, Uh one of his points was... Basically, mistakes happen, but when it happens, you know, take ownership, fess up, and and let's just move on. You know? That's right. So that's right. Yeah, take responsibility. Be a part of the solution. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So, who's been the biggest mentor for you in your career, or the biggest influencer? So I would say I don't really have a mentor, but I would highly encourage people to find one because I think mentors can be very valuable. But probably the person who had the biggest influence on my career was a gentleman named Dyke Bowles, who was my vice president when I asked if I could go part-time at USAA. I'll never forget I went into his office and I said, sir, if I could find somebody to do half of my job and together, the both of us did everything I'm currently responsible for, I did half and she did half, would you allow it? And I was only the second person. There was only one other person at USA that was doing it at that time. And I'll never forget Dyke. He said, gosh, Susan, I don't know if that would work, but I like you and I'm willing to try it. Well, he changed my life because I did find a partner and she and I did work together and we did deliver without exception, with excellence. And for 17 years, I was able to work somewhere between 30 I mean, it was part-time, ha-ha, but I guess it was part-time of everybody else's 60 hours. And so I probably averaged 30-ish hours a week. Mostly, I took my kids to school, and I picked them up, and I only worked in between. And it was the best. For a working mother 
and I had the coolest jobs. I mean, you've heard I've worked with all of the executive management team. I've, I've traveled all over the United States for USA. I mean, I did amazing things, and yet I did it on a reduced schedule all because I asked. And somebody believed in me, right? Somebody gave me the opportunity to try it. And the best compliment I'd ever get was when somebody would say, I didn't know you were part-time. I'd be like, right, that's exactly right. That's what I was going for. So, you know, somebody who gave me the chance and I'm, you know, I'm forever indebted to, to Dyke and all of the officers, you know, who helped support me while I was in that, in that role. I've thanked uh, Joe Robles, who was the CFO, many, many, many times for allowing me. I worked directly for him and did all of his board presentations and did the rating agency work. And he let me do that on a flexible schedule. And I'm just very, very grateful for many good people in my career. Wow. You created job sharing before it existed. I, I did. I did. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> A very smooth. A See, pioneer you woman. <laughs> you were in sales long before you. There you, you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Well, I love that you're asking me this question because it lets me give a tribute to my mom. And, you know, Aww. being a mom myself, I would like nothing more than for my boys to give me a shout out every now and then. So I would say that my best advice absolutely came from my mother who said, you have got to believe in yourself because if you don't, nobody else will. And so I'm a person that believes there's really a fine line between confidence and arrogance and, oh, isn't arrogance an ugly, ugly attribute? <laughs> so yeah. I never want, you know, I, I, I don't want to see arrogance in people, but I do want to see confidence. I want to see that confidence that comes from somebody saying, I believe in myself. I believe I can do it. I believe I can figure it out. I don't know all the answers. I'm willing to admit, you know, when I've made a mistake, I'm willing to help be a part of a solution because it won't always be easy, but I believe, you know, I I believe in myself. And so I think that's a really important piece of advice. And I'm very thankful that my mom encouraged me to, to feel that way. That's neat. Actually, that's another thing that you have in common with the podcast I did with Bobby Rios. He was talking about the same thing about about his career and and he said that he felt like just having confidence, not not cockiness, but confidence in your own ability makes a huge difference. And right. Exactly exactly the same thing. Awesome. So if someone wants to get a hold of you and you know just find out more about your journey or if they want to find out more about the local PWC office, what's the best way to reach you? Well, I'm going to give my cell phone because that's the one that's always with me. So I would be more than happy, really and truly. You know, if anybody does want to reach me, I'm going to share my cell phone, which is 210-416-7595. Or you can always find me at Susan.Huff, H-O-U-G-H, at PWC.com. So, and I'm there on LinkedIn, and I I highly believe in LinkedIn. I'm not paid by them, but I do believe that it's a great networking and connection tool. And so I'm always happy to connect with people. And again, you know, Mark, one of the reasons I said yes to this interview for you is because I have tremendous respect for you and what you are doing in this community. You are very committed to our profession, and I'm grateful for that. And so I want you to know that I'm appreciative you know, for you and, and your presence in our community because I think you make it a better place to live and to work. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're most welcome. You're, 
You're definitely going to be a repeat guest. Oh, good, good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you very much. I'm I'm trying to decide which is my favorite quote. Life is not a spectator sport, or I'm not afraid of the CEO. It's a a hard choice. choice. (laughs) Maybe we go with the. Maybe we go with the. Life is not a spectator sport, lest I, you know, offend anyone with the "I'm not afraid of you" comment. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Deal. 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 (laughs) Well, well, thank you for being so sharing. I I really appreciate it. I I really feel like the the podcast can be. A good tool, and what I've heard so far is that it's it's a good tool for those building up their career still and, and trying to make the right choices. And I think you had some good insight for experienced people as well as you know those just getting into the field. So absolutely good, very good. Much. Thank you. You're most welcome. Well, with that, we'll close it down. And I, I very sincerely appreciate your time, and I hope to see you again soon. I'm sure I will see you soon. You take care. Thanks. You too. Thank you, Mark. That was my interview with Susan Huff of PwC, PricewaterhouseCoopers, here in San Antonio, Texas. I really appreciate her taking the time out to schedule this because I know her schedule is very busy. So thank you very much, Susan. I was teasing her a little bit about the quote, I'm not afraid of the CEO, but I totally understand where she's coming from. And I'm a big believer in the same line of thought that it's important for us to respect other individuals, but also to realize that we're all just people and we're all just trying to, to make it in our own lives and, and live out the, the role that we're meant to live out. So I really appreciate that quote. I also love the life is not a spectator sport quote, because that's wonderful advice. We're always looking for work-life balance as professionals. And I think a, a big key to that is to participate in life be responsible for your own development, be responsible for finding new areas that you'd like to learn more and really being a a lifelong, like Susan talks about. So until next time, this has been Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. I hope you got a lot out of this episode. And if you found it beneficial, please share it with your friends, either through our website at whereaccountantsgo.com or from your favorite podcast search tools such as iTunes or Stitcher. Thank you very much. There's more to come.